Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we have Jamie Rizvi from New Rockford, North Dakota, back on the show. We've had Jamie on before, talking about Big Pike and, and musky opportunities here in North, uh, uh, North Dakota. And, you know, I think that was like summer and fall conversation. We're going to be talking Big Pike in the springtime in this conversation. And and you know what? This is going to be probably for this year, probably my uh, my only spring pike episode. And it's just a really fun conversation. Jamie's uh, recipe for success and his strategy uh, for finding and catching Big Pike in the spring on the bodies of water here around home. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the opportunities here in North Dakota uh, in the spring. Talking about Lake Sakakawea and Devil's Lake. Devil's Lake is right in Jamie's back door. He's got a ton of experience out there. And there are some unbelievable northern pike swimming in Devil's Lake. And, you know, it, I tell you what, it, big northern pike are definitely something that we need to respect. And definitely something that we need to have good intentions around. Because any fish, whatever you fish for, you know, a, a big fish is an old fish. And it takes forever uh, to replace a fish that is a trophy caliber and, and everything that we talk about in this show is uh, it's just so much fun to listen to, to how Jamie has nuanced big pike strategy and I tell you what there's a ton to take away from this conversation and it's really just entertaining to just sit back and listen to stories about catching big pike and all the good information in and around it and it's definitely not a deal where you can uh, you know do a whole bunch of research and and figure out before you go out there exactly where they're going to be. This is a this is hard work. This is this is something you got to put your time into, and uh, there's a lot to appreciate if you, you know, devote some time in your spring to go after big pike. And and when it happens, it is so rewarding and uh, definitely a fishing opportunity that we need to you know have good intentions with and definitely conserve as much as we can. And 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 Jamie is just the guy to talk about this. I've gotten a lot of questions, a lot of recommendations. Uh, recently uh, sent to me about doing a northern pike a spring pike episode and uh, so this is it and uh, we're gonna have a this is just a great conversation no matter what you fish for jamie's a really fishy guy and he's just fun to listen to and i think that these big pike uh, opportunities are more plentiful than we think mostly because after talking to jamie it's definitely something that i realize you know big northern pike are a different animal and they are doing something totally different. And if we're not targeting them, and this includes small bodies of water, I think we all generally accept that some of these bigger bodies of water throughout the Midwest and beyond, you know, big bodies of water have big fish in them. And, you know, smaller bodies of water might be a little bit more cyclic and might not have, uh, you know, the potential for big pike in them. But I tell you what, there there's some small bodies of water that absolutely need to be paid attention to. And if you're looking for a new opportunity... On your home body of water, so a lake that you maybe have a ton of memories with, or you feel like you've got the walleyes wired, or you feel like you've got the crappies wired, or whatever it is. But if you look at that lake and you realize, you know, man, there might be bigger pike in here than I've been seeing. Hey, thinking about pike and, and, and pursuing pike, you know, after talking to Jamie about this, we talk a little bit about it in this interview, but I want to talk about it now because, I, you know, I don't know if I, you know, after the fact, I don't know if I probably put enough emphasis on it during the interview but there's no question that some of these smaller bodies of water probably have some big pike in there that absolutely nobody is looking at and and what we learn about big pike the way they operate especially you know all year round but in the spring if we're not trying to see them or we're not trying to find them we might never find them it's not that easy to have an incidental catch when we're targeting a different species with a different presentation Uh, these pike just aren't looking for that and if you start looking at a lake 
uh, you know, a lake that you think you know a whole bunch about, and you, and you got to think of it in terms of where the trophy pike are at and what they're doing, it's going to force you to look at your lake in a way that you probably never have before. And that is so much fun as an angler to think that uh, there's an opportunity on your lake to put your hands on an, a big, old, special fish, like a big northern pike, you know, maybe a 40-plus incher. But even a 30-plus incher is a trophy pike on a lot of bodies of water, 35-incher. But you want to put your hands on a big trophy northern pike on a body of water where you've never seen one. you got to start thinking that way. And it is it, it, it's just really cool for me to think about on my home bodies of water where I've seen very few, if any at all, big pike to realize that they're probably in there. Lakes that's set up just right, and there's plenty, you know, plenty of ecosystem for them to live in and survive and and get old and big. But if if we're not targeting them, so I just I don't know. I'm just really excited that uh, if I can get get the opportunities to get out this spring and, and just sort of really really change my thought process and strategy on a lake that I feel like I know a lot about, and just sort of start thinking objectively again. Uh, the, it, it, what's old is new. The, you know, look at the lake completely objectively to try to pin down some of these big pike. I just think that's a really, really, really cool opportunity as an angler, um, even on my home body of water, uh, to have a totally brand new experience and definitely learn something and definitely, definitely uh, sort of up my game and build on my skill sets as an angler. And that's what I'm doing here anyways. Whatever opportunities, all the opportunities and, and, and all the interviews on this show completely revolve around the journey that we're all on to become better anglers. And we all have different motivations and we all have different target species or we all come from different places, different walks of life. But one thing that is the same is that... Uh, we can all get better, and that's what we're trying to do here. So, conversation with Jamie Rizavi. We're talking big spring pike in this show, and this is going to be my only pike episode. So, it's a really long intro, but I just wanted to really kind of lean into this because I'm not going to probably do too many of these uh, again till next year. Uh, but Jamie Rizavi, big pike. And this episode of the JMO podcast is brought to you by Devil's Lake Tourism. Head to devilslakend.com. The link is in the description. You can find all the information that you want for Devil's Lake, fishing reports, places to stay, opportunities and activities around town, uh, everything that Devil's Lake has to offer, everything you need to plan your next adventure is right there at devilslakend.com. Link is in the description. Now let's get into this interview with Jamie Rizavi. We're talking big trophy Northern Pike later on, but talk to us about uh, what you love about catching big pike so much. Yeah, sure. Yep. Well, I don't know. I, I ever since uh, I can remember, um, pike has always been kind of a a fascinating fish for me. Um, I live along the the James River here in in North Dakota, and and uh, we don't have very big fish and stuff, but uh, in that river, um, but there used to be a lot of pike in there, and I'd always ride the bike down there and catch pike every day, and, and it just never never stopped wanting to catch pike so um it's always been a fascinating fish for me i um you know kind of uh pursued trophy pike pretty extensively for a long time now and and i i think they're a, a very challenging fish to 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 catch and and to pursue i you know they're a big pike or to me they're they're like a whole different species of, of fish uh, much different than, uh, you know, the regular small hammer handled pike that, you know, oftentimes are kind of a nuisance when you're fishing walleyes and things. So, um, you know, you got to target them much differently, uh, use much different equipment than you do for those small fish. And, 
you know, I, I don't, one thing I like about the pike is just their, their attitude, you know, they're, they're big, mean and aggressive fish and they got a mouthful of teeth and, you know, really, just really a, a cool fish. So I don't know. It's, it's something that's always fascinated me. And, and um, you know, and I fish, I'll, I'll be happy to fish any species of, you know, out there, but you know, if the, if the, if I'm out walleye fishing and find a, a spot where there's some big pike in or, or something, it kind of changes from a walleye trip to a pike trip and, and uh right away and uh yeah it's just always been a fascinating fish for me to to pursue you talk about uh, some of the places that you've gone and and just some of the you know just you know some of the learning you know like over your time and fishing these fish like what have been some of the you know just some of the key memories that you have where you either you know learned a lot or just figured out how you you know what you enjoy about them yeah i don't know the first uh the first canadian fishing trip i ever went on is my dad and and my brother and uh we were up in the flin flon manitoba area and uh, we were just fishing a bunch of uh, smaller lakes around there and um you know it's kind of my first first experience of uh chasing pike in in canada and and it really got me hooked and i mean i just couldn't wait to get back up there and and uh and uh, chase those big fish you know there just seems to be more opportunities up there uh, that being said man around here in north dakota south dakota minnesota montana we have great opportunities for trophy pike but but those canadian trips is what kind of really got me hooked on them um oh man back probably 40 years ago was probably the first time i went up there and, and uh anymore i mean i we take several trips a year up and up into canada and and some drive two lakes we fish, and then there's there's some fly-in lakes that we fish too for pike, and and uh, have a, have some great trips with some friends up there. Um, you know, we fished them from Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and and stuff. So there's there's a lot of opportunities up there, and and we get up there, you know, three, four, or five times a year just for pike. You know, big pike. They're just kind. Of, they're such a well. They're they're kind of. You know, it, it takes a lot to catch one. It's it's a definitely you're not going to catch a trophy quality northern pike. Never forget about it. And then down here, they're just such a treasured thing that you know maybe do you feel like going up on some of those in Canadian trips? Maybe just helped you kind of speed up your learning curve because you just had that many more hook sets. Like like uh, like how, how would you kind of value that from like a skill set standpoint? Yeah, I, I don't know. There's there's so much opportunity up there, you know, and. And, uh, and like you said, it's, it's unpressured and, you know, a lot of those, those fish up there don't see, you know, a fraction of the, of the baits going through the water that, that fish down here do with all of our, our fishing pressure. And, and I don't know if they're, if we have smarter fish down here or, or just, uh, fish that are not used to seeing baits, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it seems to me that, that uh, the opportunities are so much greater there, you know, the, the, there's so many more, more lakes up there that, um, that provide that opportunity down here. You know, we do have some, some lakes that, and rivers that put out some really good fish. Um, but, you know, compared to the vast number of lakes and in, in the, up in Canada that, uh, you know, they, they don't get near the pressure they do down here. So, you know, we go, some of the lakes we fly into 
Um, basically, you know, they might see fishermen on there for, you know, eight weeks out of the whole summer, out of the whole year, there's fishermen on there. And, you know, some lakes, like one lake we fly into and it's a drop in, drop camp in there. And there's a cab, empty cabin and, and we have the entire lake all to ourselves for a week. And that, that basically is only open for, for two and a half months. So it's these extremely low number of uh, fishermen up there. And I think that, that, that makes it uh, a little bit easier possibly that uh, you're fishing uh, fresh fish all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, this is probably a sidebar one once again, probably not something we need to go down as a rabbit hole too far. But, you know, the the great opportunities that are, you know, even right, you know, around us, you know, in the Dakotas and in Montana, like I said, and, and in across the Midwest, like, you know, in some cases I think it should be said that, you know, it's something that we need to sort of it's something that needs to be a little bit nurtured and we definitely need to bring value to it. Like because in the event that a big pike does get caught, there's definitely, like, I mean, they're just a big old fish, so we definitely got to take care of them. And if we do it right, we've got the tight with fertile water that can grow big pike. But I think, it, you know, down here, I think it's a little bit more of a conversation. Maybe you agree with that. You know, like, you know we don't have to get all political or whatever. But I think that, you know, just realizing that it is a special fish and it's really old, if we can all just take a little bit of care, even if it is an incidental catch, I know there's a lot of walleye anglers listening to this, so, you know, still maybe uh, they haven't tuned it out um, that, uh, you know, hopefully you just kind of just realize that, uh, you know, and I think that's is good karma too. If you're the type of angler that's prejudiced to a pike and uh, you don't care if they live or die. I mean, in the end, don't you feel like there's a little bit of karma in the boat? You just got to treat a fish good and you got a better chance of getting bit again. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, this is big pike, you know, especially down here. It's such a, uh, such a awesome resource that we have those fish here. And, and I think we need to respect that resource. And, and I, and everybody's been there where you're, you know, pitching cranks for walleyes on Devil's Lake or, or whatever, wherever the lake might be. And, you know, you're, you're getting bit off by, by a small hammer handled pike and, losing cranks and, and stuff and it gets to be kind of a nuisance and, and, and I think they get a little bit of a bad rap when when uh, we have those experiences but you know and when, when you're talking about you know trophy pike where you're talking pike that are 40 inches or bigger you know there, there's there's not a lot of those pike around and, and they definitely they need to be taken care of you know and and uh, you know a, a 40 inch pike is a is a true trophy pike but you know, uh, you, you, we have opportunities, you know, not not real common, but we have opportunities to catch 45-inch pike or bigger here in, in these areas. And, you know, uh, if we don't handle a 40-incher correctly or end up killing a 40-inch pike, it certainly isn't going to make it to, to 45, you know. And, right. And even, even, even smaller pike, even, you know, uh, a 35, 36, 37-inch pike, that pike's gone through a lot to get to be that size and it's it's got a decent chance to make it into that 40 inch range or bigger you know so much more of a uh, that fish has so much more of a chance to get there than a than a small hammer handled one does so even even those pike we got to take good care of them you know and 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 do good things with uh, you know and handling them correctly and 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 getting them back in the water so they so they can um 
you know, survive that and uh, continue to to grow and hopefully get to that size of fish that we really want to catch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you find yourself, this would be my own little, you know, PSA around it. But like if you uh, if you find yourself in a situation where maybe you got a big pike and you weren't prepared, you know, maybe you got a bass net in the boat or, you know, a small walleye net or whatever. I feel like you can still do as long as you have good intentions for that fish, you can still um, you know, just you know, take care of that fish just to the best of your ability, figure out a way to get the hooks out or cut the hooks if you have to, uh, you know, with the pliers, whatever you got to do, but just have good intentions with that fish. And that usually just goes a really long ways. And if you want to nuance yourself, if you want to get into it and you want you know, then yeah, man, you got, you know, you, you can teach yourself, you know, we'll talk about it in this show too, but like, you know, having the right gear and things like that, um, to be more prepared for that is always a good thing. But people's intentions is definitely has a lot to do with it. And, and uh, whether you agree with me or not out there, anybody that's listening, man, when I'm fishing, I want to know that I've been living right lately to feel like I got a chance to get bit by a good fish. So when you had a poor attitude and, uh, and you, you know, you just have poor intentions and, uh, that you see a big fish go floating belly up, um, Man, that's just not that's just not good fishing etiquette. But anyways, enough on that. Uh, I just was thinking about that when you were talking about like, you know, there's definitely a contrast with the opportunities to catch you know bigger fish and just the amount of lakes and the amount of fish that are that size. Yeah, probably Canada's the place to go to have you know to get your hands on as many of them as you possibly can. Um, but you know, like you know, I definitely want to talk to you a little bit about you know breaking down some water you know, here a little bit more closer to home, the places that you fish. And we'll talk about, you know, some of these opportunities around here where, you know, if, if you go, if you have a game plan and you get out there and you start, you know, putting in the hard work, I mean, you got some real chances around here catching some real lunker fish. Cause we've got some bodies of water that, um, have the ability to crank out some nice fish. It just might uh, take a little bit of nuancing. So let's, let's, let's go there. Let's get into some of the fishing now at this point. What would you say? I mean, we're going to talk spring northern pike here. Where where do we have to start? You 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 got to maybe um, maybe some stories to talk about some some spring fishing that you've done lately, or is you know just uh, we can get into some technical information. I mean, what's the most interesting uh, aspect of spring trophy pike fishing uh, for you? We'll just start there. Um, gosh, I I don't know. I think it's uh, what's really interesting is where where we can find these fish, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we've got the Missouri river and Sakakuia with the, you know, the other reservoirs, Hawaii and Fort Peck. And we got devil's Lake and, you know, those, the, you know, pike, big pike oftentimes are found around big water, deep water. They need cold water in the summer. You know, they, they kind of leave the shallows and kind of disappear for the summer months. So you, you, you know, it's, it's a good starting place anyway, is, is fishing those lakes and, you know, and they've got, you know, lots of food in there for these, for these pike, you know, the, the Missouri river system and Sakakuia and, and, you know, those lakes with the, with the Cisco's in, I mean, just a perfect food for those fish to grow big on, you know, and in Devil's Lake up here, we have, we have, um, White bass. I mean, I in the spring I often target big pike around the big bass schools, and you know, and fishing them in the spring. You know, you be fishing shallow, and all of a sudden you see a, you see this this 
dead fish floating and often you know it's oftentimes it's a pretty good sized pike you go over it and you know the, the poor thing he, he choked trying to swallow a two three pound white bass and, and stuff so you know there's a lot of a lot of good food in in a, in a place like devil's lake for him too with with that and then also you know there's there's plenty of suckers in in that lake too that that the fish will you know that's another good food for them to to uh, you know grow to a big size but even though you don't don't necessarily have to have you know a huge body of water either and you know some of these you know rivers in in the state you know there's big pike in those that you know they might they might run up the river from a from a lake or a smaller reservoir and you know oftentimes find good ones there and 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 believe it or not i mean some of these small lakes in the state are have some tremendous pike you know the biggest the biggest pike I've ever caught outside of Canada was in a small, you know, 300 acre lake. I think it was less than 300 acres, you know, so they, they can show up in some pretty, you know, unusual spots too. Not, not necessarily the, the ones you, you expect them to be in like, you know, the big lakes, the Missouri river and, and that. Yeah. It's almost like, I think that's a really good point. Cause that's probably true in a lot of places where they're just unpressured. Like, that's the that's along that conversation of like if we bring value to them and want to go out and catch them, there's a lot of pioneering that can probably happen. Like, yeah, a, a big a big body of water has the potential. That's like a that's like a, a you know sort of like a, a scientific fact. That's something that you know like smart people could just flat out say like yes, there's going to be more potential on a big body of water for all the all the reasons that are easy to wrap your head around. But we've got very fertile water across the Midwest, a lot of fertile water on small bodies of water that are entirely known for, you know, anything but a big pike. And so a few pike on a small lake that have never, ever been casted for, nobody's ever thought to just, you know, maybe look at that lake a little differently. You know, those fish have probably just ran entirely under the radar. I think, you know, I mean, we'll probably continue talking about, you know, bigger bodies of water, but yeah, just to not breeze over that point of like, if you, uh, if you want to get a taste of some big pike, you could probably still do the same thing as, you know, like a, like researching a walleye, like not just figure out where the game and fish has been stocking some Northerns for a really long time. I'm sure that I'm sure there's a few in there, especially in a small lake, you can break it down really quick. Yeah, we I see some pretty interesting things, you know, and and we have a taxidermy business and we do a lot of fish replicas and and uh, it's amazing to see where some of these replicas or where some of these these replicas we're doing, you know, where they're where those fish are actually coming from, you know. For instance, just as an example, this last uh, this last summer, um, I had a call and they and and they they had a forty seven inch inch um, pike you know and they wanted to do a replica of and and you know and in talking about it here here that that giant fish come from a, a gravel pit you know it's probably oh, nice. less than 200 acres and Jeepers. they're in the gravel pit and and then in talking to this uh this person this fisherman too and and it's not the only fish like that they've caught in there and that's the biggest but they've got numerous between 40 and 45 in the small gravel pit it's just they can they can yeah just show gotta, up some pretty crazy places a little bit of deep water so they can kind of cool out in the hot summer i imagine and 
Yeah, and there's a uh, game and fish, you know, stocks everything around, you know, like North Dakota. So I'm sure they had food. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's it. That's probably an interesting, you know, thing down the road too. But I, I want to be even more technical than that, and kind of maybe kind of break down for you in the spring. What's your? You know, let's start breaking down maybe like what your strategy is. Um, is it a time of year when the fish are a little more spread out and you got to cover water, or do you find you know finding the X as being kind of a, a big deal? Like, and how do you break that down? Maybe kind of tell me that part of the story for your strategy in the spring. Well, I think, you know, there's a couple of things that really help help us in the spring is, is you know, the fish are, are they're coming shallow to spawn. And uh, so they're, they're, they're in much more of a confined area. You know, they're looking for a warm bay, someplace where they can spawn. And, and um, you know, it is, so it brings fish from, from deep water, from, you know, quite a distance away into these areas. So, and that makes them pretty susceptible to being caught. And, um, you know, if you, you can find one of those bays, you know, there could be, you know, lots of big fish in there at one time. And, um, but that, that's kind of the key. I mean, otherwise you're, you're trying to cover a, a wide area on, on a big area on some of these lakes and, and, uh, you know, all summer long, you can, you can catch fish all summer long. You can catch big pike all summer long, but during these, this spring is when they're, they're in, in that spawning area and, and it's, they're way more, the more, more easy to target at that time. And this episode of the JML podcast is brought to you by Devil's Lake Tourism. Head to devilslakend.com. The link is in the description. You can find all the information that you want for Devil's Lake, fishing reports, places to stay, opportunities and activities around town, uh, everything that Devil's Lake has to offer, everything you need to plan your next adventure is right there at devilslakend.com. Link is in the description. Do you feel like that's a bit of a process uh, or do you feel like like on your home body of water, um, well, I guess I'm not assuming Devil's Lake is your home body of water, but it's obviously close to you and there's a lot of, you do a lot of pike fishing out there. Like, Do you feel like those patterns stay pretty true every year? Do you feel like the same areas are pretty good year after year? Do you feel like you got to break it down new kind of a little bit every year? Yeah, it, it's the same it's the same pattern every year and, and it's the same, you know, but you know, devil's Lake is, you know, even in the last couple of years, you know, it dropped four feet one year and then back up a couple more feet the next year. And we'll probably raise again this year. And it's, you know, you're still, you're still fishing those shallow bays, hopefully find some weedy areas in there and, and things were, but you know, that bay, that bay that they were in last year, you know, if the water comes up two feet, you know, that bay may extend much farther back in somewhere or another bay, you know, down the shoreline might pop up that would provide, you know, those conditions that, that um, were in, in that, you know, a different bay the year before. And, and you know, this bay might be better. It's just, the, it's the exact same type of scenario. It's, you know, as the water levels changing, and even in Sakakawea, you know, with all the water going up and down in there, it's the same scenario. It's just that the locations might be in, you know, slightly different areas. Yeah, man, I think that's really good information to note. You know, I mean, I, and that's, uh, yeah, that is so true. And you know, for, you know, for the Midwest, you know, they look at, uh, you know, the states to the east of us. Um, you know, talking about the pike spawn. Typically, the season is closed for them at that time. But these pike, they're 
you know, they, they're spawning about right at ice out. I mean, I know that they tell stories like in, in, uh, in Canada, it's not uncommon at all for pike to be, you know, or evidence of pike spawning under the ice even. I mean, they, they get after it early and, um, and, uh, you know, so for a lot of us, by the time we can either legally target them or by the time we're willing to, uh, you know, put the long johns away and get out there a lot of times it's a post-spawn deal but understanding where they spawn uh you know i i just feel like that's a really key feature if you're going to be successful finding them even after the spawn because you just got to know where you know how to connect those dots i imagine now when it is a post-spawn deal when things you know when them big females you know they get hungry everybody knows fish get hungry after the spawn um, talk to, talk me through that part. I mean, that's gotta be that special time of year when, when they start opening up and you start, you know, things are catching, talk me through like the best spring conditions in your mind, like sort of that hypothetical, like best case scenario, um, for a day of catching pike and what you do about it. Yeah. Well, once they spawn, I mean, the, those fish, it takes a little while for them to recover. You know, and then that water temperature, water temperature drives everything with the, with these fish. And, um, you know, they, once the spawn is done, you know, they're, they've gone through that whole process and, and, and they're recovering. And man, sometimes it seems there's not a fish in the water anymore for a while there. And, but once it, once that water temperature starts warming up and, and, you know, I just can't wait for it to get to be in that. 50 degree range and and start going anytime anywhere in between the fifties and sixties for water temperatures is, is ideal. But I mean, that upper, the upper fifties to 60 uh, degrees, that's like prime time right there. And that's when they get aggressive and and they're, they're chasing everything and, you know, and, and um, you know, that not to say during that, post-spawn that you can't catch them you know we'll we got to do things you know we'll use a lot of dead bait on the bottom uh do some fly fishing and oftentimes you see giant fish you see really big fish i mean i don't know if i i can't say i've seen a 50 inch in north dakota but i'm fairly confident i have and and um i had a fly right in front of her nose like three times and she i don't think she even saw it they were just they were just uh um you know recovering at that time but but uh give them another you know another week or two and and uh then they get aggressive and you know that one i i wish we had uh, a much longer period of time when the water is in that 50 to the low 60 degree range because uh, that's kind of magical for these big fish for you like how much ground are you trying to cover like in in the spring when you get into your areas like are, do you spend time just cruising around looking on the electronics or do you get up and start casting right away or is it a trolling deal? I mean, talk to me a little bit about your strategy and, you know, incorporating the presentations and some of your time management and just like what that kind of looks like when you're just getting started on a good day. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't use electronics too much. I, I want to know depth. I want to know temperature and, um, you know, I you know you see some fish on side scan once in a while, and I have been using some uh, live scope in perspective mode and, and seeing some fish and 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 um, triggering or targeting them with those you know tools. But I don't. Know, oftentimes, you you once you know what type of location they should be in, and 
you know, bays that in the past have been good. Um, you know, sometimes you just gotta, you know, start working the shoreline, start working that bay and, and, but I, I do con, you know, pretty constantly pay, pay close attention to the temperature gauge on my, on my electronics. And, you know, I don't know the whole science to it, but, you know, they say like a, um, a, a tenth of a degree, uh, of temperature, you know, a fish can sense, sense that small of a, a change in water temperature. And as soon as you, you see, you know, say you're fishing in, you know, 53 degree water and you find a, a warm spot in there where it's now it's 56, 58 degrees. And, you know, then, then it's time to slow down and really look around at, at that point. So I don't know, temperature is kind of, kind of the number one key for me. And, and, um, you know, I, I'm always looking for that little bit uh, warmer water compared to the rest of the, the area I'm fishing. Talk to me about like your spectrum of, uh, you know, your baits, your presentations and, you know, some of the conditions that dictate your decision making along those lines. Yeah, well, we use a, a wide variety of baits and, you know, like uh, we start out, you know, in the, in the, you know, at this time of the year right now, we'll find an open water area along the shoreline that's got ice out, you know, 25 yards away and we'll pitch dead bait off the, uh, hit that ice and drop it into the water. And, and, you know, we do a lot of dead bait and it's, it's big fish or big baits, like, you know, big herrings and smelt and ciscos and stuff. And, and then from there, we kind of work right into the fly fishing and, um, you know, cause those those fish are pretty negative and, and once they, uh, you know, but once they get to that, you know, that 50 degrees and, range that we've been talking about then we kind of switch over to more aggressive you know artificial baits and and uh, like our number one bait i mean i think we probably throw it well maybe 50 percent of the time these you know big giant paddle tails and and um you know they run really shallow and you know like a, a six inch paddle tail we've run you know we use that a lot but even more so i think we use like you know a lot more you know eight inch paddle tails sometimes even up to 10 inch paddle tails kind of our one of our you know main baits it's just uh it, it you know you can fish them slow and and um you know the big tail a big uh paddle on the end of the tail there just thumps back and forth it just i think it's kind of drives pike nuts and and you know another one of our main baits is it's a, it's called a soft tail it's made by phantom it's it's a it's a glide bait and it's got a you know, a soft tail, it's got a curly tail on the back of it and it glides back and forth. And, and um, you know, those are our two number one baits, but we use a lot of other baits too. And, you know, a lot of these baits, you can fish slow and, uh, you know, let them hang. And, you know, um, Rapala makes a, I don't think it's even available in the States right now, but it's called a, a gliding wrap. Um, another one that's another, it's a jerk bait, glide bait, and then you know another one's called a buster jerk. I know that we get those from from companies over in Europe. Um, you know, another one that would be uh, another Rapala bait is a it's a, called an X Raf Otis. It's got a you know it's got a hard body and a long, soft curly tail on it. Um, we use a lot of big baits, big baits that you would you would probably fish muskies with. You know. 
Are you one of these guys that fishes for big pike with musky tackle, like uh, with the, the you know the, your your line, your rod and reel setup? Yeah, yeah, we do. It's it's basically musky gear. You know, when we fish muskies, we're usually using nine and a half, ten foot rods, but you know we don't use that long of rods. But they're they're big, heavy rods. You know, like a seven and a half to eight and a half foot rods, and we use real heavy gear. We kind of have two setups that we we run. Um, one one with these big, you know, like a seven and a half, nine or eight foot rod, we'll run like sixty five pound braided line on it, and and then we we tie our own leaders, make them out of one hundred and thirty hundred and thirty pound uh, fluorocarbon, and uh, you know, a real heavy cross lock snap on it, and and uh, heavy um, split rings on it, and then we run another another type of rod, and I I call it more of a heavy bass rod. And um, then on that, we'll run like 30, 40 pound line on it and, you know, maybe like an 80 pound fluorocarbon leader. And, and then we fish some of our smaller baits on those. And, um, you know, some of the baits we use like a six inch paddle tail or a four inch glide bait, we'll, we'll fish on those. But if we use the, the big paddle tails and the big soft tails, and then we'll throw the, you know, the, the bigger rods. But one thing that, that really is, we found that works really good is, is we like these baits that glide and hang, you know, or, or we can fish them slow and shallow. And, you know, even, even something as, as simple as a, a cross lock snap on a leader, you know, it can add a little bit of a weight to the front end of a lure. So, you know, we've gotten to where you take a standard leader and, and we try to, you know, simplify that to where we'll, instead of using a crosslock snap to attach your bait, we'll put a, just one split ring on the end of a, the fluorocarbon and, and directly, you know, use, put that split, rate, uh, split ring onto the bait. And then on the other end of the fluorocarbon, instead of, you know, having something to tie a loop into to attach your, your line to it, we, we'll use a, like a, a, it's called a nail knot where you're, you're kind of dropping the string right around your, your line, right around the end of the fluorocarbon. Oh and, yeah. And nail knot. And then it's basically, you're almost fishing no leader. You still got 130 pound leader on there, but there's actually like almost no weight to it. And it really helps these baits with their action. You know, looking back on your career, like when you got into catching big pike and when you, when you got to the point where you felt like, you know, this is like, I'm doing this now, I've caught a whole bunch of them to now like like what would be you know some of the things that you've learned you know the most at this point in your career that you wish you knew back then like what what are some of the things that you're doing now that are the most important that you did wrong back then oh definitely the wrong gear <laughs> you know and you know i used to go after them with the, the walleye rod you know and you know so many times you caught had a big fish on that you couldn't control i mean you just you'd had no no chance of getting them in and stuff and 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 then with these you know you couldn't fish the big baits you know with those light rods either so being able to use you know bigger baits you know for bigger fish and and uh you know i wish we had had that uh you know opportunity years ago and you know and, and getting these baits is you know, there for some reason in the states we we don't have the opportunity to get a lot of these baits, and and you know there's several companies in Europe, Sweden and Norway and England that we order baits from, and 
and you know, and even you can on, on a recent house uh, a few years ago, we were heading up to Canada. We were going through Winnipeg, and we had time to kill, so we stopped in at at Cabela's in Winnipeg, and and um, you know, we just thought we'd look around for a little bit, and went to the fishing section and looked at there, and they had all these baits there that just a couple hours south, you know, on, on our side of the border, you don't have access to. So, you know, I wish we, you know, had those things years ago too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the casual angler isn't going to realize some of that stuff, but I think you're spot on. I think we're talking about big old fish that, especially down here in the States, they get some fishing pressure. And so having, you know, nuancing your lure presentation and how you set it up and how you fish it. I think it, I think all that stuff is just matters a whole bunch. You know, the details of how you fish matters a whole bunch and, and, uh, you know, the opportunity to get a bait that's an an improvement, you know, like, uh, you know, I think that that's a big learning curve for sure. Well, you know, how many times do you you have a small walleye on and and then here comes a a, a pike and grabs it while while you're bringing the walleye in, you know, it happens you know, fairly frequently and, you know, and same thing with muskies, you know, so, you know, you got a, you know, a, a 15 inch walleye. Well, you know, <laughs> it's nice to, to throw a bait that's, you know, a little bit bigger than the, you know, your average, average uh, crankbait. Yeah. yeah. They're not scared to whack it. That's no. for sure. And I mean, I, you know, as far as triggering bites, do you feel like, I mean, talk me through that a little bit in your experience. Do you ever feel like, you know, throwing the big bait, um, you know, absolutely was what it took to get bit, whether it was, you know, getting the react, the desired reaction or, you know, how often would you say, maybe this is the right question. Like how often would you say upsizing is just as valuable to catching fish on a certain, in certain conditions as it might be downsizing in other conditions? Talk me through that a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I think the, you know, the big bait, big fish theory is, is really true when it comes to these fish and, you know, they're not, you know, for instance, like we were talking earlier, when you have, you know, you have a, a 40 inch pike and you, you find him floating on the surface because he's trying to swallow a three inch white bass or three, yeah, three, three pound, pound white, white bass. bass. Yeah. You know, so they're not afraid to, you know, what do they say that, uh, you know, I guess I don't know the science behind that either, but you know, that, uh, a pike will try to eat something a third its body size. How often do you feel like that's maybe the wrinkle that everybody else is missing? I mean, when you're talking pressured fish, you know, just trying everything. I mean, I'm just trying to like conceptualize this in my own self. I don't have nearly the experience with it, but you know, one thing I do understand with all of fishing is like if you're fishing, uh, you know, pressured fish, you know, whether you're currently in a crowd of people or if it's just a, a an area that gets fishing pressure, you know, trying to figure out your own wrinkle can be a humongous deal. In fact, that's kind of the fun of fishing is trying to figure something out, put a puzzle together and being outside the box. And, you know, I think generally speaking, if fish are a little bit tougher to catch, you know, just like any species whatsoever, as anglers, we're probably more so programmed to go finesse and go smaller. And it's not yeah. nearly as it's not nearly as normal to be thinking, you know, outside the box. It's it's probably outside of certain people's comfort zones to upsize to try to capture a bite that they aren't currently getting. And I think, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, those huge baits that people throw for muskies and pike. I mean, it's just kind of intimidating. But I can only I can I'm, I'm just you know maybe there's a story maybe you have something to say on that too. But I, I think that you know there could be some opportunity there, don't you think? 
Oh yeah, and you know, a lot of times, you know, like we've targeted those white bass schools and in on Devil's Lake and fish, you know, around the edges of those sometimes. And but then you, um, you know, sometimes in the fall, you know, kind of a community hole for walleyes. You know, it, well, walleyes are they can be bait fish for other fish too. So sometimes the pike will kind of be around those those community holes in the fall or or even all summer long really and uh so we'll we'll pull up and and we're going to fish pike in these areas because we know that they're they're not far away and <laughs> and all the walleye fishermen are are there and, and we we pick up our rods and we we throw you know 10 inch paddle tails and all oh, these big uh, rubber baits and uh, medusas and different things and we get some pretty interesting looks from the fishermen that are <laughs> are throwing you know little small cranks and and jigs for walleyes and stuff but uh, you know you're trying to you know target those big fish that are that are eating eating something that's are you know already uh you know a pound or two pound walleye you know and trying to imitate those with the base that we're throwing yeah we, we pulled into one and a friend of mine uh and i were fishing and he was he was throwing a Oh, uh, it's called a bulldog. It literally weighs a pound, and you know, by the time the tail stretched out, it's over a foot and a half long. And, <laughs> and we we casted that in there, you know, by that that area, and just a big sound like a cannonball hitting the water, and, and people are looking at us like, "What in the world are you guys <laughs> doing?" But but then uh, you know, a little bit later, and you pull in a you know a, a you know twenty pound pike, and it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not even going to talk about how many nice walleyes you catch when you're doing all this stuff because, yeah, that would probably, uh, I mean, you know, maybe with the internet the way it is now, we've all, we can all generally accept as walleye anglers that, you know, some of these pike and muskie guys have a few things figured out that we weren't thinking because some big, big walleyes come on those baits too, man, for sure. It's, it's, it's shocking how big a walleyes will catch on those baits. It, yeah, they'll they'll hit a big bait. The biggest walleyes I've ever caught have been on musky baits. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had a conversation recently with a guy that was talking like, uh, they were talking like, you know, some walleye biology and, or, well, it was, it was a study on, on smallmouth bass, but they were, there was walleyes. It was up in Canada. Any, anyways, the gist of the conversation was that they realized for, you know, just harvesting fish and then, you know, uh, like, I think, the, I think it was like talking about growth rates or something like that, but they were looking at, you know, what the, you know, size age classes of, of fish, what they were feeding on. And then, but what they realized was the size of forage, like walleyes are, almost at the top of the list. They're like up with largemouth bass, like a big walleye is up there with largemouth bass with, you know, um, the size of bait that they would prefer. If given the opportunity to eat 10 things, they'll go the extra mile to eat the biggest of the desired food forage base. And, uh, well, what's that called when they, uh, uh, expending less effort for more gain? I think it is something like that. They're, they're getting more, value for the effort they're putting in yeah yeah and it's like yeah and it's like walleyes are the epitome of like you know they will go out of their way 
for the big one or, you know, for the big bait. Now, again, that's a sidetrack. We're going off. We're going off the rails here talking about walleyes. But this is a good conversation. I think it's just so, you know, yeah, I just it, just to sit down. I get it, so many questions about not specific questions of topics to cover, but just people that want to hear more conversations about catching big pike. So this is, you know, just just sitting down and having this conversation is definitely going to go a long ways with a lot of people and people from all over the place. It's like. It's almost like people that appreciate big pike are have to be some secret society because the rest of the the rest of the fishing internet just doesn't like them for some reason, right? It's like it's almost like there's a prejudice out there, you know, kind of getting back to, you know, valuing these fish and having good intentions when you're in and around these, you know, big fish regardless of the species, but definitely pike, man. Um, you know, there's just uh you know, I don't know, there's just a lot to appreciate there, but it definitely sounds like it, you know, maybe we can kind of you know, kind of coast into the, and wrapping this up because we're good on time here, but wrapping this up with that conversation of like, do you feel like catching big pike in the spring is pretty technical? Is it pretty, do you really, is there certain things that you just got to know and pinpoint and do your research and be dialed in? Or is it more of a, where you just got to get out there and put the work in? Yeah, it's, 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 it's putting your time in for sure, you know, and, and, um, it doesn't always work out and you don't always have a good day and there may be several days of tough fishing you know it could be a lot of different reasons it could be the conditions it could be the water temperature it could be the weather whatever um you know but you might put in several tough days and all of a sudden you have that one magical day that makes it all worthwhile and it's just it's uh you know putting your boat on the shoreline and and, and looking in a in a good area and just working down the shoreline, you know, wait until you, you know keep keep throwing the bait out there until you find the find the ones you're looking for. And I don't think there's necessarily, you know, it's not it's not rocket science, that's for sure. You know, one one other question here. We'll maybe close it out with this, but I, you know, you you said that you use a little bit of forward sonar the last couple of years. Um, have you learned anything? Do you feel like? Uh, it, you know, it just through that whatsoever, even if it's just something simple, is there anything that you feel like with forward sonar that has maybe taught you something or opened up your perspective on anything in particular when you're targeting big pike? Um, yeah, I think mm, probably the biggest thing is, is that, you know, oftentimes, you know, uh, the pike will follow, you know, real similar to a muskie and sometimes you don't see them you know, visually, but you see them down on the, on the, uh, sonar and, um, you know, and, and to the point where, where some of these, these pike, you know, they come in and you know, they're down there, you've seen them and, and stuff, but you know, a lot of times that, you know, you think a pike is just, you know, happy to hit your bait anywhere, but oftentimes they're not. And it, it, I found that it, it varies from water body to water body, but some, some of these pike act just like muskies and, and uh they'll figure eight at the boat you know just like a muskie you know i've had i've had uh you know pike follow the figure eight you know around two or three times you know even more and and um you know and and before they'll 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 hit the bait so i think you know with the forward sonar you know it's just seeing how fish react and and seeing what they're actually doing down there is is been really eye-opening to me yeah 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 do you do you do i mean you know talking about spring and in these spring conditions 
Are you figure eighting this time of year as well? Do you feel like that's uh, definitely a, a worthwhile skill or technique to to put your time in? I don't know. It's it's funny. There's there's a certain few lakes that it, you know, early in the season and not so much, but you know, later in the spring, I find that it it'll happen. You know, need to do it more often or have the opportunity to do it more often. And you know, in a lot of lakes, so they might follow and and then get to the boat and never give you another look. It's just it's it's I don't know why, but it's like certain bodies of water, the fish will respond that way more often than than other lakes. Yeah, I don't know reason why, and I don't understand why, but it's really obvious. Certain bodies of water, it happens a lot. Other bodies of water, never. Yeah, that's interesting. It's crazy to imagine we've been on the phone now for like an hour, and, and all we're doing, we're just BSing about spring pike fishing and just all the you know the good opportunities here that we have uh, you know around us. Anyways, but before before we completely wrap this conversation up, I did want to spend a few minutes or at least give you give you a few minutes to talk about um you know your replica business fish replicas i still think that you know bringing the awareness that are talking about you know just how cool these replicas are you know in comparison to skin mounts and it's definitely a, a conservation conversation this is a you know this is an opportunity to catch and release a fish but get the measurements and get the picture you know and then you still have that trophy on the wall but you're still you know, conserving the resource. So, uh, you know, on that note, man, talk to me a little bit about the fish replicas and how that industry, how far that industry has come and, and, um, you know, just your passion behind that. Well, you know, forever people, you know, killed the fish and, and, you know, got it mounted and hung it on the wall. And, and, um, you know, once that fish is out of the system, it's gone for good, you know, and it, like we said earlier in the podcast, you know, a 40 inch can't turn into a 45 if he's already hanging on the wall. So, you know, I, I, that, I re- that really intrigued me, you know, and there's other states more maybe, you know, to the east of us that replica, you know, taxidermy has caught on more than it has here. But it, in the last uh, couple of years, it's really taken off in, in North Dakota and, and, and there's good reasons for that. The, the quality of today's replicas are so good. And people will say, well, I've seen replicas in the past and they have, you know, big, thick fins and, you know, this and that. And the body shapes are weird. But, you know, there's so many better, so much better options for them today. The quality of these replicas are, are you know, unbelievable, really. You know, they have thin, transparent fins and all the scale detail and scale pockets and, you know, all that you know, it's all the gills are nice. Everything's good, you know, and they, and they paint up so nice. It's such a nice surface to paint that, you know, and it holds the paint well. They, they don't fade and they don't, you know, over a period of time, uh, you know, a regular skin mounted fish, will, you know, could possibly, you know, crack and bleed grease and stuff. So you're never going to have any of those issues. And a good replica today, you know, will last and it'll look the same you know, 40, 50 years down the road, you know. And, and I think, you know, one of the best things about you know, replica fish is that you can catch this trophy fish. You can put it on the wall. You can have memories to look at forever. And then, uh, you know, even the, probably the best memory of the whole thing is, is holding onto that fish in the water and then letting go and watching it swim away. There's just, there's really nothing like it seeing a, a giant fish swim away. Oh my gosh. That is so true, man. I think that anybody, man, you just, oh, you, you just you got to get out there and fish. I mean, there's uh, there's so much rich tradition in fishing, of harvesting fish and 
And, um, you know, for so many of us, we, we work so hard at our jobs for the few opportunities that we might get. And when you do catch a fish of a lifetime, it's, you know, there's, there's a tradition there that you're right, man. People killed fish, uh, you know, to mount them. And, and you know what, like, you know, that's, that's, that's a part of the industry, uh, without a doubt. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to forever be done with that whatsoever. That that's not what it's about. It's the opportunity to let a big fish go. Dude, I'm telling you that, that there's, I can tell you, I could tell you off the air, the opportunities I've had just being introduced to this industry and working for Jason, just how much that has, has now means to me. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the most unbelievable moments of my life, you know, Jason caught a big walleye on the Missouri river, South of Bismarck a few years ago. And there's YouTube of it. I mean, it was a big story. Obviously it was a giant fish. It was the biggest walleye I've ever seen in my life. And I was in the boat with the camera that day and it was just an unbelievable experience. And Jason let that fish go and it kicked away so hard. I mean, it was like, it was a dream of dreams uh, to to release to release a big fish and watch that fish go, and afterwards, that was all we talked about. We talked. It was the most, and I think Jason, you know, he's told that story quite a few times. That it, it's it's a different thing, you know, for somebody when when you catch a fish like that, which very few people can say that they have caught a fish that is of any species that is of such a caliber that it's like life changing almost. Right. And it, 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 it's almost like it puts you in a weird, it's like finding a bag of, of, of money of a, of an unbelievable, you know, life changing amount of money, but you know, it's not yours. And you, you know, you decide to give it back. And it's like, there's a moment there for everybody where you just have to do some soul searching and figure out where you're at. And I can tell you, it wasn't my decision to make, but being in the boat with Jason that day, was very impactful for me amongst other opportunities, uh, you know, for the same thing. When he released that fish, he made that decision so quickly and without any reservation. And within 10 minutes after he caught that fish, and obviously we were just bananas in the boat together, um, how hard that fish kicked away and swam away and how rewarding the feeling was of that was all we talked about. That was what we talked about forever, and I, I just I can't even express it enough. I think that that hopefully is a big message, and anybody that you know has listened to this podcast this long is like talking about big trophy fish, especially big pike or any any species, but definitely a conservation minded individual. Um, you know, th- this is for you. This is for you to experience this, experience it like this, and let that fish go back healthy and good and well and get the replica done, uh, you know, of a fish of a lifetime. That's just the way to do it. It just is. It just is. If you want to hate on me for saying that, send the emails. I'll take them. Yeah, I literally look at uh, I literally look at some replicas I have on the wall, you know, and they're, they're big fish. And you wonder, you know, are they still swimming today? You know, have they, or have they been caught? Someone else got the same thrill of catching that fish, you know, and how big, how big have they gotten to be? You know, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, there's nothing like, you know, and, and for have someone else to have that same experience of catching that fish and hopefully letting that go too for another person is, is it's, that's a, yeah, that's, I agree. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Right, man. I'll let you go for real this time, man. Jamie, I appreciate the time. You know, we, we, uh, thank you for making this work. Just a great conversation once again. And it's always good to be in touch with you, man. So I'll let you go for real this time. I'll let you back at it. Yeah, thanks, Taylor. All right, later, man. Bye.